welcome back to Crimes from the East. I'm Pia, your host, and I'm doing this after a really long time. It's been like more than a month. So I've kind of forgotten how to do this whole thing. But to help me out today is Alex. Hello, Alex. I also have forgotten. It feels like it has been just years since we did this. Yeah. A life. So many things have happened, and yet somehow nothing has happened nothing has changed (laughs) we lead such exciting lives what have you been up to so much going on so much going on um nothing really i was my toddler's entertainment manager for the past month and a half you know since i've started this podcast thing i've i've really not had too much time to spend with her so i was like all right she's gonna be my main focus during this break and so yeah I've had a lot of fun playing with her I set up little fun montages or what do you call them dioramas for her to play with I want to play with them they look so fun they're like basically you have like the sunken table that has yes they that has two little basins that are flat at the bottom and you set up little dioramas and like create these I mean how fun is that I think it's more fun for me than it is for her, <laughs> really. Like, like <laughs> I, this is my kind of play. Yeah, I think it lets loose my creative juices. And I'm like, yes, what can I design and totally. make and set up for her today? So cool. So I'm like, here, you want to play with this? And she hardly even plays with it for like 15 minutes. It <laughs> takes me like hours to set up and create these things. It's always like that. Whatever, it works. it's working out for both of us. Yeah, so. well, it's pretty cold and dark where you are, right? So you've needed lots of indoor activities. Oh, yes. There was, I think, two snowfalls and then it melted in a few days because global warming. Thank mm. you. Thank you for screwing up our uh, seasons. <laughs> it's just crazy. I don't know what to wear when I wake up every day. I'm like, winter clothes, summer clothes, fall clothes. What is it like today? I don't know. <laughs> What's it's just it nuts. Be? Yeah. What's it going to be? Um, I've been taking refuge from my recently usual Parisian winters, which aren't really that cold, but they're really dark and gray. And Paris is just mm. the most gray city I've been to, I think. There's just like yeah. even the parks aren't that green in Paris. I know they're beautiful Parisian parks, blah, blah, blah. But like they're French style parks. So they're very hyper manicured. And usually the ground is just dirt. You can't walk on the grass. Like don't touch the grass. Exactly. And they're just like not really my thing. I like a more English style park that's Mm. like very resembling nature and super green and lots of different types of plants. Anyways, so I have been hermiting out in Arizona at my parents' house that they are conveniently not in at the moment. So I've had an entire (laughs) big house to myself, which has been um, interesting. Hey, see any snakes? No, all the snakes are asleep. It's sleepy, sleepy snake time. Oh, good. Snakey, snakey (laughs) sleep time. Anyways, um, but it's been sunny and I am browner than I should be in December. Your true colors, Alex. <laughs> I've gone from like a caramel latte to, I don't know, Espresso? just coffee. Yeah, what? straight up. <laughs> nice. Um, feeling very vitamin D full. Oh, by the way, did you know we crossed 5,000 total downloads? Yeah. How cool is that? So many goats. Thank you so much, listeners, especially all the new ones who kind of hopped on in the last couple of months. And I'm sure we got a good bump from um, the shout out that we got on True Crime from the 50, which is such an amazing podcast. And Katie's just so sweet. She featured us on her Instagram and she gave us a huge shout out in her episode too, especially the one for New Hampshire. And I did a little cameo on her podcast. Where I just talked about the case that she covered a little bit, you know, like a local person's um, point of view on the case. Thank you, Katie. That case is nuts. It's this murder by this really horrible narcissistic dumbass who thought he was some (laughs) kind of, you know, master. He had some kind of slave master thing going on with this, his dumbass girlfriend. And then they ended up killing this poor innocent woman um, as part of their game just terrible all around 
um, yeah, go check out the New Hampshire episode on True Crime in the 50. All right. Thank you, Katie. Okay, so you ready um, for today's case, Alex? Yeah. So put on your sepia filters, Alex, because mm. we're going back in time. We're going back in time for a vintage case today. I love vintage. Mm-hmm. And this is really vintage because it happened 89 years ago. <laughs> I only buy my shoes at thrift stores. Just my shoes. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think shoes from this era would last today. They'd be in tatters. Maybe just the sole. Just the sole and laces. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Isn't everything from the past supposed to be better, though? Nah, this is from 1933 in Kolkata. <laughs> so Make shoes mm-mm. great again. Ain't no shoes from 1933 still lasting now. Maybe wooden ones. Some clogs. There's no Bengali clogs that I know of. (laughs) So like I said, this is from 1933, Kolkata, which is the capital city of West Bengal in the east of India. Back in Bengal. Back in Bengal. Uh -uh. We don't stray too far from Bengal, I think. (laughs) That's like the center of our podcast. Um, Okay, so... This is a time without television and Netflix. What? No Instagram. And certainly no memes be popping up in your daily life back then. No. It was a simpler time when people were trying to survive and thrive under high pressure situations, especially in India, because <clears throat> the country was still in the vice grip of, say it with me, Alex. The evil white devils. The colonial white devils. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. So freedom fighters were busy trying to find ways to fight for the people. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, lovingly called the father of the Indian nation, was in and out of jail that year in 1933. Like, he was the peace lover, remember? He wasn't all about violence and aggression. Yeah. He fought with protests and his words and trying to be humble and take the high road. Mm -hmm. That was his method of fighting for freedom do you think that's what that um kendrick lamar song is about which one sit down be humble wasn't that sort of sit down be humble gandhi's whole thing he just sat down and was humble (laughs) yeah he did it he put his money where his mouth was the main source for today's case is the book murder in the city by retired kolkata cop supratim sarkar we did reference this book back in the Birain murder case in episode four and five as well. Remember Birain and Belarani? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Supratim Sarkar says a lot of old cases from the bygone era, they rely heavily on hearsay and urban legend to tell the stories of what happened. But the cases in the book mm-hmm. that he has written are all based on actual police records saved by Kolkata police. Okay. Remind me, are the Calcutta police in the white uniforms? Do we have a history of them generally being pretty good or pretty good slack? Okay, good. Good, good. Now, the old police diaries and case files are actually on display at the Kolkata Police Museum. Oh, interesting. So if any listeners live in the city, please go take a look when it's safe to do so, of course. And let us know what you find. I'm so curious. I definitely want to see like cases from 90 years ago. Like how did the police solve cases back then? I wonder what the weirdest ones were. If there's like a Florida man, but a Bengali version, like Bengali man found with monkeys in his closet. Oh man, that's lame. (laughs) I I couldn't improv that one too good. From everything I've seen so far in my research of Indian crimes, again, I'm reiterating, I found... Kerala police and Kolkata police to be the most thorough and advanced in the crime scene investigation techniques that they use. And cases like today's show that it is due to the historical practice of detailed investigation that they have to lean on. They've they've got a history of, you know, good police work, basically, to build on. Yeah. Detective culture is ingrained in the Bengali people. And we've talked about this Mm -hmm. before. I blame or attribute my inquisitive nature to my Bengali side. I guess I can too. Yeah, I'm basically a detective. (laughs) Where's your armchair, detective? (laughs) I got a chair. It has no arm. (laughs) I got an armless chair, but I'm still an armchair detective. I want to get one of those um, exercise balls and be an exercise ball detective. Bald, bouncy ball detective. (laughs) 
That's the new age version of it. That's going to be my rapper name. <laughs> Bouncy Ball Detective. Yep. So apart from uh, Supratheem Sarkar's book, Murder in the City, the other source, uh, which gives a more detailed picture of the country and the people of the time, is an article by a medical historian, Dr. Rudrajit Paul, on livehistoryindia.com. I will link it on the website. You can go read it. It's an excellent article. Enough groundwork. Today, we look into the case that caught the attention of the world in 1933, okay? Not just India, the world. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> this is the murder of the wealthy Zamindar Sion, 20-year-old Amarendra Pandey, with a bioweapon. No measly old knife or gun, nuh-uh. It's a bioweapon murder. Cool. Now, this case had such a unique plot that it landed up on the cover of Time magazine in its 1935 edition. Wow. There was like a full page article in it titled Murder with Germs. I link it on our website. Go check it out. It's a little piece of history. Awesome. So at this point in 1933, there still existed tons of generational wealthy families, zamindari families. I'm talking serious money bags. What is a okay. zamindari? Oh, we did talk about the zamindari system in our bubble case with Katie quite a bit. It's basically a feudal landholding system. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In which a family would purchase and own vast parcels of land, which tenants would cultivate and pay them a lease or a tax every year. Okay. So it's a typical... Landholding. Yeah. Very medieval styles. Very medieval. These zamindars were making millions of rupees. It was immense wealth. Okay, like I said, serious money bags. Yeah. And there's a reason that India was invaded several times in, you know, last couple thousand years. It's a resource-rich country with some super smart people. Now, these zamindars were designated pseudo-royal titles by the British to appease their sensibilities while also being heavily taxed by them. So the Brits were like, you can do what you're doing. And we'll call you prince, blah, 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 although they weren't actually royalty. Okay. So in Indian society, they were not seen as any kind of royal... Lineage. Lineage at all. Nope. But the British gave them these titles to kind of bump up their ego a little bit, while also taxing them heavily on their income. Gotta get a taste. It was a lot of money, and the Brits knew this, and so they made Bengal their main capital when they invaded India. Since it was one of the major centers of zamindari in India, Bihar was the other state with major wealthy zamindars. Okay. So Bengal and Bihar, um, they're bordering states. Right. Tons of zamindars pouring out of them. On 26th of November, 1933, a group of friends and well-wishers were gathered at the Howrah train station in Kolkata to see off a pair of siblings on their journey back home to Bihar. The siblings were 20-year-old Amarendra Chandra Pandey and his sister Bonobala Pandey. Man, what a name. <laughs> Bola? What was it? Bonobala. Bono? Bonobala. 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 Both the heirs, well, technically not the girl. I mean, only men were inheriting, really. Heirs of the Pakur Zamindar family of Bihar. They were being lovingly seen off by their close friends, Kamala Prasad Pandey and Ashok Mitra and others. But there was one figure sticking out like a sore thumb. And that was their stepbrother, Vinayendra Pandey. He was not on the best of terms with the siblings as the large inheritance loomed over any chance of peace among them. Okay. They didn't give too much thought to his presence and they said their final goodbyes as the departure announcement came over the loudspeaker on the railway platform. Man, this brings so many warm and fuzzy feelings. I love train journeys and when we lived in India growing up, every summer we would just take train journeys and visit, you know, our grandparents or other relatives and it was just so much fun, like two days in a train, man. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. I've had some interesting overnight train experiences in India. Traveling alone, though. I don't know. Alone? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's different. Hugging my bag to make sure no one steals it. <laughs> okay, so before Amarendra could get on the train, a haggard-looking fellow covered in a dirty shawl rushed past him, 
bumping into him quite unceremoniously and then shuffling away into the crowd. Okay. Okay. Now, this is common. This happens yeah, all yeah. over train stations. You know, the population is huge. Those train stations are nuts. I think if you watch videos of train stations, even Asian ones, like yeah. Japanese and Chinese subway stations. Where they're like pushing people in. <laughs> they pack them in. It's, it's a crowd yeah. on these train stations, y'all. What a loathsome occurrence this must have been for him because he's not used to, you know, bumping around with commoners on the street. Yeah. Richie Rich got chest bumped by a shady shuffler. You know, not his best day, I bet. My personal space. <laughs> Moments later, Amarendra winced as he became aware of a sharp pain that he felt on his arm. That blasted vagabond had pricked him with something or cut him with something. They checked his arm and sure enough, there was a tiny pinprick Ooh. oozing a faintly yellowish liquid Ew. and it had stained his kurta as well. <gasps> Bonobala was in a panic. She asked her brother to go to the hospital in Kolkata at once to have this checked out. Yeah. Their friends also had the same concerns because as we will see in the flashback later, <laughs> Amarendra had not been keeping well and had a spate of terrible luck when it came to being nicked, no matter how minor it appeared to be. The brooding stepbrother, Vinayendra, who was kind of skulking there in the group, he stepped up and he declared that they were descendants of fierce warriors and a silly cut like this couldn't break their stride. Yeah. He's like, come on, it's just a prick. You know, forget about it. He assured Amarendra it was nothing and that he should get on with his journey. Possibly fearing a show of cowardice, Amarendra agreed and he said that he would go see a dock in Pakur where they were headed. If needed, he felt fine for now. And so onto the train, the siblings went. Poor Bonobala, she was stressed the whole time and besides herself, she felt uneasy because the man in the dirty shawl, mm -hmm. she had seen his face and he looked vaguely familiar. All of a sudden, it hit her. A few days ago, when they were at a movie theater, she had seen this same man pacing outside the ticket counter as if he was waiting for them, as if he were tailing them. Yeah. She was now sure that he had been following them this whole time. Her worst fears came true when Amarendra, despite trying to put up a brave front, started to feel ill with each passing hour. By the time they reached their palatial home in Pakur, he was running a high fever. And over the next three days, his condition just got worse and it stayed grim despite various remedies tried by their personal doctor. Nothing was helping. Nothing was helping. He was just sick as a dog. Maupakur is, it doesn't have all the best medical facilities and stuff. So they landed right back in Kolkata, you know, where they had just come from, mm -hmm. where he could receive specialized medical care. And a renowned Kolkata doctor of that time, Dr. Nalini Ranjan Sen Gupta, was summoned to treat the young Zamindar. Dr. Sen Gupta, he noticed marks from a hypodermic needle on Amarendra's arm. How do you notice that? I guess there's a bruise. I don't know. You'll see the pinprick, like, after you get a vaccination or something. If you look at your arm, you can see that no. tiny pinprick. Okay. Yeah, you can, kind of. And he's a doctor. He's trained to notice these things. This points to some nefarious intentions because if it was just a nick from some kind of sharp edge on, you know, metallic object or a knife or whatever, I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. But a hypodermic needle mark like that. Yeah, that's pretty. That's intentional. And so he ordered a full blood screening to get to the bottom of this dangerous dilemma. Amarendra's arm was terribly swollen, he was running a high fever, his blood pressure kept dropping low, and he was bleeding a lot as well, like throwing up blood and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The prognosis was not good. This is all the way back in time. Like, there were no computers, no advanced technology like we have today. Thank your stars, people, because this blood work took four damn days to return the results. And in that time, poor Amarendra Chandra Pandey slipped into a coma and died on December 3rd, 1934, just a week from the fatal pinprick at the train station. That's fast, but also not fast. That's like, I don't want to be dying for a week. I want to just die instantly. 
I think maybe because he was young, uh, it took longer. If it were an older person, maybe he would have died in less time. He was a young, fit 20-year-old. Remember, he's just barely, barely an adult. But also, like, what what was in that needle? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being the next of kin, or at least being the next male in the family, Vinayendra, the stepbrother, had the death certificate issued, and he cremated the body in accordance of Hindu custom rather promptly. Okay. The results of the blood cultures came in after the death. They left the doctors dumbfounded as well as terrified. The cause of death was determined to be a bacteria known as Yersinia pestis. Hmm. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh Who knows? Better known as the plague. What? (gasps) The plague. Plague. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the plague. Black death. Mm -hmm. And this is in the 1930s. 1930s, yeah. Now around 12 million people had died during the two different plague pandemics in India. There was one in 1896 and another one in 1904. So over a decade or so, 12 million people died in India from the plague. That's so recent. Like when I think of the plague, I think of medieval Europe. That's crazy. A lot of authoritarian measures were put in place by the British government at that time to try and stop the spread. Mm -hmm. Officers would knock on all doors and go in checking to see if anyone looked sick. And if they did, they were forced to quarantine by locking them up in a segregated prison-like facility. Oh, no. People were harassed on the streets, checking for fevers and beaten to stay at home. Yeah. Yeah, I could be talking about 2021 (laughs) India right now. Seriously. Wait, when is this happening? This is... I'm just giving you a little history. This is in, you know, 1904. Okay, not that long before. Yeah. Like still probably in most people's memory. Okay, back to our story. The top doctors in Kolkata are baffled by this plague discovery and since it was a highly communicable disease Mm -hmm. all the highest levels in government were notified so as to quickly identify and contain the spread if there was indeed a new outbreak this panel of doctors sent a letter to the director of the school of tropical medicine in kolkata to inquire if plague bacterium could be injected into a human and to find out what levels would be fatal, how long it would take, and was it still infectious, blah, blah, blah. They need to find out, you know, how to deal with the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Calcutta School of Tropical Medicine, which was established in 1914, had been tracking and researching infectious diseases from the tropics for the Brits since they love colonizing all the nice warm places in the world. Right, yeah. And they have those, (laughs) you know, delicate British constitutions. (laughs) So the director of that tropical medicine uh, school confirmed that yes, you can kill someone with plague germs through injection. And they concluded based on the onset of the disease and the viral load that they detected in his blood, in Amarendra's blood, that it was indeed an artificially induced homicidal death and not a natural death by disease. Okay. Friends and family of Amarendra were not only distraught by his loss, but they were incredibly suspicious of this cause of death because he's a rich guy. He's not, you know, mucking around in the slums and, you know, sleeping on the floor where rats can bite your ass. Nope, he's a rich guy rich dude yeah it's a little too convenient yeah it's too convenient they suspected the elder brother vinayendra immediately 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 (laughs) they were like it's that guy go catch him he did this (laughs) and we'll see why they were so suspicious we'll see soon but they had no proof it was just suspicions and gut feeling so kamala prasad one of amarindra's close friends who was at the train station that day He went to the Calcutta police and he lodged a complaint to investigate the death further. He relayed everything that had happened to Amarendra so far and also details of the shady man in the shawl who had pricked Amarendra with some kind of needle. Mm -hmm. So they knew where that pinprick came from or that needle prick had come from. It wasn't a mystery. Someone pricked him and he died. So cause and effect. Now, if you think this was an isolated incident that he was just 
being a 20-year-old and one day got pricked and died, you'd be wrong because we need to look at the life of this poor, unfortunate 20-year-old Amarendra, especially the years before his death. Let's rewind time a little bit to the start. Mm-hmm. The Pakur Zamindari was one of the wealthiest in the nation in the early 1900s. They collected lakhs of rupees annually and the head Zamindar of the family, Pratapendra Chandra Pandey, so Amarindra's dad. He had two wives and two children by each wife, so he had four kids. Oh. Sadly, his wives died, and this left the children in the care of an aunt, Suryavati Devi. Both of them died? In time. I mean, not at the same time, but... But he had both died. of the wives at the same time. So, first of all, there's some kind of Zamandari polygamy structure. I mean, polygamy wasn't even uh, illegal in India till like 1955 or something. So were people doing it a lot? I mean, yeah, if you could afford it, why not? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> you did have to be rich to do it, though, to support a big family. Lit. I mean, only lit in the sense that, I don't know, <laughs> it's not really lit. <laughs> no. Okay, so he had two wives. Mm-hmm. Both died. They both died at different times, probably because just people die all the time. I don't know. Yeah, they died for some reason. It doesn't mention how, when, where, what, if it was suspicious. We don't know. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, they're women. Who cares? Oh, sad. Children were sent to the care of Aunt Suryavati Devi, who especially took care of Amarendra, like her own son, and she raised him right from infancy. So Amarendra's mom had died as a result of childbirth. Oh, okay. He really didn't know his mother. Suryavati Devi was yeah. like his mom. Okay. Pratapendra, the father, died in 1929 and left his estate divided equally between the two brothers, Vinayendra and Amarendra. However, at that time, the elder bro was 22 and the younger one was only 15. Okay. So Amarendra was a 15-year-old lad and unable to legally inherit the money just yet. The reins of the estate and the control over finances were taken over by Vinayendra, mm -hmm. and he was to hand over his little brother's share when he came of age. So I think like, what, three years? In three years, he was to get his money. Yeah. Sidebar, most of these zamindars that had been peacefully prospering for years and years, like hundreds of years, had suddenly started dying young in the early 1900s. And this is my personal conspiracy theory, which I formed after all the research I did mm -hmm. for the Bubble, Bubble Prince episode. And my theory is that the colonial white devs were instrumental in the downfall and mysterious young deaths of many, many Zamindars. Interesting. Yeah, not directly. Not directly. Not as if they're coming to your lawn and shooting in the face. Nope. But covert operations like guerrilla warfare almost like shady shit you know cia <laughs> type okay. shit well that's not surprising yeah this this sounds yeah mk ultra -y. a zamindari without a head of estate so if there's no one left alive no male heir left alive to take care of it would leave the entire income in the hand of the brits of course okay they had something called the court of wards which would take over the estate and just give a small stipend to whoever's alive in their family. So all the women, the widows, would get a stipend. But the vast amounts of yearly income would go to the Brits. I think they acted like that little devil on the shoulders of these young zamindars, mm -hmm. like mentoring them for destruction and infighting so that they kill each other off. Okay, yeah. And the Brits come out looking blameless. Hmm, nefarious. That's my conspiracy. I buy it. I'll buy it and I'll tip you for it. Thank you. Why, thank you. Back to our turbulent saga. The two brothers were polar opposites. Vinayendra was the proverbial spoiled brat. He drank and spent money frivolously. He enjoyed the company of several women. And he was drawn to the glitz and glam of the Mumbai movie scene pretty often. And now, by itself, none of these things are inherently bad. Yeah, sounds like a fun guy. 
He isn't evil for doing any of this. Yes, by the standards of a conservative society at that time, this was all bad. But today when we're reading this, we're like, what's the big deal? Okay, so Sounds what? Fun. <laughs> you like to spend his money. You got the money, do what you want. It's your life, bro. YOLO. And Amarendra, on the other hand, was brought up by Suryavati with great care. He was an academic. He was a fitness freak. So he worked out every day. He played sports. He was a sensitive nobleman, true to his breed. He was kind and considerate and kept himself to a close circle of friends and family. Okay, it's kind of a drip. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a boring dude now that I <laughs> think about it. The major difference between these two was that Vinayendra's pursuits in life cost money. Yeah. While Amarendra didn't really have any major expenses. Right, classic. And that's why... Vinayendra figured he needed and deserved the lion's share, pretty much all of it for himself. Greedy boys. We have seen time and time again, inevitably, greed destroys everything. The people of Pakur, they adored that Choto Babu, or younger prince, Amarendra. He graduated from high school and he joined Patna College. His fees and expenses were still paid for by Vinayendra because he was still a minor. He paid them late and after much begging by the young Amarindra. So he was at the mercy of his elder brother at that time. Yeah. In 1932, this is like a year before the murder, the young Pandey brother turned 18 and he was now eligible for his share of the estate. So he wrote a letter at the insistence of Suryavati Devi who was afraid that the wayward Vinayendra would squander away the money before the younger one could receive mm. it. So he wrote a letter asking for his share. There were many bitter conversations and unpleasant back and forth between the two through lawyers and personally as well. Yeah, yeah. But as per the law, the share was finally legally handed over to Amarindra. Okay. Along with a big target on his back. It all tracks... You can sense, in retrospect, a storm building, I guess. And it's so classic. You gotta see this coming, don't you? If, like, Yeah. Oh, I guess no one expects to be murdered. Murdered. <laughs> By plague. So later that year, during the Durga Puja celebrations, which is a huge deal in Bengal, um, Amarendra went to visit Suryavati Devi in Deoghar, where she lived, for a few weeks. Now, Durga Puja is the main religious and cultural festival in Bengal. Mm -hmm. Just watch some videos on YouTube to get a feel for the, you know, grand scale of it all. It's beautiful. It's just a lot of fun. Lots of music, lots of food, dancing, and everyone's out and about. Plus, everyone's celebrating like a badass lady riding mm -hmm. a lion. I mean, it's just great. It's a great image. The goddess Durga, yeah. Family is together, enjoying all the festivities, when all of a sudden, the black sheep Vinayendra shows up quite unexpectedly. He was not invited. He kind of just showed up. The air was heavy with awkward silences and just all-round and comfortable situations because of all the harshness yeah. the elder brother had dealt the younger one for the money. Suryavati refused to let him stay at her home. So he had to rent a place to stay and visited the family daily. I'm like, God, you don't get the message? Like, what the yeah. hell? How, how shameless are you? You're not welcome and you're still showing up. So awkward. One evening, he came over and enthusiastically suggested the brothers go on a stroll around the estate gardens. Unusual, yes. Mm -hmm. But after the relentless requests, Amarinder gave in suppressing his resentment and hoping that this would bring the two of them closer. I think he was naive and maybe hoping for some kind of reconciliation. Yeah. Burying the proverbial hatchet. Right. On the walk, Vinayendra suddenly pulled out a pair of very fancy glasses. Now, the article says it's pince-nez. Is that how you say it? Pince-nez. Pince-nez. Like pince-nez. Okay, so they're like the glasses that don't have um, the uh, your your handles. Your handles. <laughs> what are those called? There's a name. I don't There's know. A very your handles is all common name. <laughs> your handles. <laughs> okay, so they're like the 
the glasses that basically just sit on your nose. Yes. Okay. Remember Professor Calculus from Tintin? Yes. I think he wore them. Let me let me check it out. Tintin, Professor Calculus. We verify our information. This is very important. Oh no. His uh, glasses have ear handles. What are the ear handles called? Ah, oh, glasses. I'm searching that ear handles. <laughs> Pinsnes. Who wore Pinsnes? Any famous people? I don't know. I think Dracula wore them in the movie. Remember Bram Stoker's Dracula? I think a bunch of those vampires were wearing them. Oh my god. I just watched that recently. So bad. Weren't they all wearing pinch ponce noses in them? Pinched noses. Okay. So he pulled out a pair of fancy pinch nose glasses saying, Hey brother, look what I got for you from Kolkata. And he forcibly jammed the glasses onto Amarinder's nose, cutting it a little bit. Oh my god. It was sharp. There were sharp edges on it. And he just shoved it on his nose. Amarinder was taken aback. And he mentioned the little cut to Suryavati when they got back home. She was not happy about it one bit. Yeah. But since it was a small cut, they didn't say anything to Vinayendra. And he just left. Three days later, Amarendra's face had swollen up terribly. And he felt very sick. A doctor diagnosed it as a tetanus infection. What? Oh my tetanus. god. Okay, so this brother has like a, he has his mind set on how he's gonna do his brother and he's like, I'm gonna get him with a scratch, with a prick. So that's what, that's what that was. He basically tried to kill his brother once before with tetanus. Mm-hmm. I think this guy is a real prick. <laughs> but also, interesting that he makes this comment after the um, hypodermic needle, after the, the plague injection about, oh, we come from a lineage of warriors, so yeah, that should be nothing. I wonder if that's also a little bit of like, a, he thought his brother was just like a weak little, like mm. not a good representation of their family and strength and masculinity. And so like, he wanted to get him in this way. He's like, you're too soft, bro. Yeah, yeah, and he wanted to get him in this way that would make him look even more soft. Like, yeah. Think about it. There's so many ways to kill someone. We have covered many of them. <laughs> many. Snake. Especially when you have the money. Right. You're rich. You can pay people to do all kinds of stuff. But no, you, you chose to do this. Yeah. You chose to put these glasses on your brother's nose. And it, this is devious. This is so complicated. It's well thought out. He wanted to be involved, yeah, basically. Yeah. The dutiful elder brother, he felt so bad publicly, mm -hmm. sent his personal doctor, Dr. Taranath Bhattacharya, to treat Amarindra at once. Uh -huh. Now, this doctor was an affable, sweet-talking fellow who had the gift of the gab. He tried his best to divert Amarindra's medical care to odd treatments like morphine, which would maybe make him feel better but not really cure him one bit but Suryavati's doctor didn't allow any of this bullshit thank god Vinayendra the ever fake concerned bro he arrived personally to see the sick man himself and tagging along was a supposedly high-flying doctor from Kolkata like another doctor called Dr. Durga Ratan Dhar mm -hmm. after much arguing Vinayendra found a lone opportunity when Amarendra was unattended to have the doctor administer a miracle cure. Oh boy. In an injection, which he had brought all the way from Kolkata. No. The dastardly duo then booked it back to the city. And within an hour of receiving that jab, Amarendra started to lose consciousness. Oh my God. And nearly died. He nearly died. He was hanging on by a thread. Alive only because of the efforts of Suryavati's family doctor. So just think about the dedication here. He pricked him with the glasses, sent one doctor to meddle a little more. When that didn't work, he came personally with another <laughs> doctor and jabbed him with another injection. Yeah, he's like not giving up. And all of this is so public. Everyone is seeing him do this. It is not in secret. Yeah, he's like putting his face... Right there. He's inserting himself into the situation rather 
blatantly, mm-hmm. which is weird too. Super weird. Look at the audacity of this grubby man. <laughs> grubby. Vinayendra landed in Deoghar yet another time after that one jab, okay? Mm-hmm. With another new doctor. No, come on. <laughs> this is the third doctor. <laughs> Somebody needs to like lock the gate. This is the third doctor he's bringing in. Keep this guy out of there. Who he promised would fix everything. He's like, this guy is the guy, okay? Those other two guys I got, they were crap. But this one, he will fix it. There's something just so Indian about this, though, is like... Overbearing. And just like a big chaotic mess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I got this guy. I got this guy. No, no, no. no, It's fine. Everything's fine. Tika, okay. But Suryavati, thank the goddesses, was having none of it. The veil had come off and all notions of diplomacy and politeness were abandoned. She ordered that all the guards be on the lookout and that under no condition was the elder Pakur brother or any of his line of doctors allowed on the property. Damn. I like her. She's smart. She knew what was going on. Totally. She knew right from the start. Because she's the one who told Amarindra to ask for his money when he was like 15. Right. And she groomed him to be diplomatic about yeah. it. Do it the right way through lawyers. It's, he wasn't fighting. So she was a good mom. She was really, you know, taking care of her son. Mm-hmm. Now it took months for Amarindra to be a functional human again. And even then, he was incredibly weakened by all the attacks on his health. Mm. He was no longer the fit and sprightly 20-year-old who used to wake up at 5 a.m. to work out and play sports. Damn. Now, he could barely make it out of bed by noon. Suryavati sent Amarendra with his sister Bonobala to live in Kolkata where he could receive more advanced treatments. Okay. Now, his condition improved gradually, but his quality of life was still not as before. He suffered crippling fatigue, dizzy spells, and loss of appetite. He couldn't focus on any activity, and so it was very hard for him to work or study or even just read books anymore. Okay, so during that year of recovery, so all of 1932 and 33, Amarinder was called to Kolkata under false pretenses by someone faking a letter from Suryavati Devi. So he was in Pakur. Suryavati Devi lives in Deoghar. Mm-hmm. He got a letter saying, blah, blah, I'm Suryavati Devi and I want to meet you in Kolkata. There's something urgent that's come up. Come here at once. But whatever the letter writer had planned didn't happen. And Amarindra returned to Pakur, mystified and wary of this weird invitation. Suryavati told him, it's not me. I didn't call you there. So something was going on and he was kind of now opening his eyes to the whole ordeal okay i think he finally realized that he is a target and someone's trying to get him in the meanwhile vinayendra had forged amarendra's signature and withdrawn huge sums of money from the joint account which they shared and this led to an acrimonious battle between the two for months okay god coming full circle to the start of this story where we started off with this story. Mm-hmm. This is the point when in 1933, Amarinder was returning home to Pakur from Kolkata from, you know, having had his medical treatments there. Okay. And this was when he was attacked for the last oh, time man. with that needle jab at the train station. Can't catch a break. <laughs> he cannot catch a break. That's exactly what's written in my <laughs> script right now. Jeez, what a shit, brother. (laughs) I mean, this poor guy, just imagine he must be terrified of anything sharp by then. It's like I keep getting jabbed and I keep getting sicker. And no wonder the sister was so worried because at first, like, yeah, Mm. if you suspect that someone has just stabbed you with a hypodermic needle, yeah, that would be terrifying. But if you don't really know exactly what's happened and you just got like, you know... If it's the first time, you won't be that worried. But this was yeah, not the first exactly. time. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you see he'd been pricked one too many times, you can see why Bonobala was so worried for him. Yeah, totally. So as we heard a little earlier, Amarendra's friends had lodged a complaint at the police station against Vinayendra and the three doctors who had made poor Amarendra sick for the past couple of years. And even though all of these suspects tried to flee, they were all apprehended by Kolkata police within a couple of weeks. 
Okay. They did confess to some degree, not all the details, but Vinayendra sure did squeal like a, I don't know, what do you squeal like? A rat? A monkey? Pig? Oh, you know, like one of those screaming frogs. (laughs) Are those screaming goats? (laughs) There you go. He kind of laid out his web of, you know, deceit and murder in front of the police. Not all the exact details, but he gave them a good idea. Why? I don't know why. Maybe he was just proud of himself. Like, look at me. I'm so smart. I didn't just, you know, pay someone to stab my brother. I did all of these scientific things. I don't know. Maybe he was proud of himself. Do you think he was strongly persuaded or no? Strongly persuaded. I don't think they... (laughs) beat people with money no i don't think yeah they don't beat people with money (laughs) shit (laughs) that sucks vinayendra had been planning this murder since the day he received the letter from amarendra asking for his share so when he was 15 that's when his elder bro started to plan all this oh really damn yeah And after the tetanus glasses incident, he made several more plans to have his little brother injected with various toxins. And so he sought the help of this Dr. Taranath Bhattacharya. Remember the guy who came earlier to try and fix him, but he wasn't allowed to? Mm -hmm. Now, this Taranath was no doctor at all. He was a research assistant at a medical supply lab in Kolkata. Where the hell did they get the plague from? Did they just go to um, the disease store or to like a graveyard? Germ Mart. They went rat rat shopping. <laughs> rat shopping. Like make a little feast for rats, like a table full of scraps. Have a bunch of rats come and then like jab each one. Do you got the plague? Do you got the plague? No. The plague bacteria sample that they used was acquired from the one and only lab in India that stored such deadly disease germs. And this was the Hafkeen Institute in Bombay. This is a virology institute where all sorts of research and testing is carried out. It still is functional today. This is operating for like since 1914 or so. But, like, don't even think about it if you're fully keen. (laughs) Only if you're half keen. Don't even try it because they've been fooled once. (laughs) But not again. Um, Just a little history. The Hafkin Institute is named after a scientist called Waldemar Hafkin. He was a Ukrainian uh, who worked with Louis Pasteur in Paris on developing vaccines for lots of deadly diseases. He's the guy who came up with the cholera vaccine after he moved to India to study the cholera pandemic that was raging in the country at that time. He also studied the plague when it was raging in India. Remember we were talking about the 1800s when plague was in India? Hafkin was researching it on the ground. He did all his work himself. He didn't send stooges and stuff. Mm -hmm. He went, visited people, sick people, took samples He made the vaccine and he tested it on himself always. Selfish or selfless? Can't decide. Curious is what I would call him. And he was instrumental in stopping the plague pandemic in India. Okay. Yeah. So the institute was named after him. Cool. All right. So on Vinayendra's direction, this Taranath fellow sent a telegram to the Hafkin Institute posing as a microbial research scientist who was working on a plague bacterium for some critical study or whatever, Mm -hmm. and his request was denied. Taranath made several personal trips to go visit the Hafkin Institute, but was rejected repeatedly. They were like, bro, you ain't got the papers. You're just some idiot. We're not giving you the plague. (laughs) Get out of here. That's good. At least, you know, it wasn't easy. They had the sense. Yeah. So Vinayendra then engaged two other stooge doctors, okay? One of whom worked at the School of Tropical Medicine. Oh, okay. So he got that doctor to write recommendations, like letters of recommendation for this Taranath fellow Mm -hmm. to help him with his application further. 
And it somewhat did help him get in the door, but not with full access. So Taranath was able to visit the, the institute and work there in the lab, but they weren't giving him like a vial of the plague and saying, here you yeah. go. So he got his foot in, but he, you know, didn't succeed in the mission. Hafkin was not impressed and such a dangerous bacteria sample would be catastrophic in the wrong hands. Vinayendra upped the ante and he sought out two of the Institute's research doctors. Mm -hmm. He bribed the hell out of them over several months. He would have them stay at his expense at the glitzy Seaview Hotel in Mumbai and make sure to wine and dine them lavishly. It did pay off eventually because they stole and handed over a while of the deadly germs to Taranat. Wow. So easy. Yep. Just a little bit of money. So see how much work went into this plan. It's not simple. It didn't happen overnight. He worked for like a solid year, you know, trying to get into this institute and bribing this people. If he hadn't been so fixated on the idea, he could have probably found like a much easier and equally discreet way. Like there's a part of this that's like quite vindictive or something. It's not just about killing his brother to get the money. He wants to punish his brother. Either, like he's mad about yeah. something. He wants to punish him. He wants him to suffer. He wants him to feel pain and it's all playing out in public so yes it's kind of like he wants to pull him down a peg or two like you know you're the sick one yeah you don't deserve any of this i'm the strong boy heads i mean that whatever it was yeah it's comical it's comical how much effort he went through to kill his brother when he could have paid like a dozen men to beat him up in some corner and you know it would have been over in a day you just need to go find a snake <laughs> All of this was painfully verified by the Mumbai and Kolkata police in conjunction and laid out as evidence for the court case that was tried against the four individuals, which is Vinayendra and his three idiot doctors. <laughs> the stooges, yeah. All the receipts and handwriting at the hotels they stayed at, the stores where they shopped, even the merchant who sold mice to Taranat to, to test dosage and stuff. He testified as a witness. Okay. All the hard work paid off because Vinayendra and Taranath both received the death penalty in the lower courts. Mm -hmm. The other two dum-dum docs were acquitted oh. for lack of evidence. The sentences were commuted to life sentences in the higher court, but they were to serve them out in cellular jail on Port Blair in the Andaman Islands. Okay. Remember we talked about this? Yeah. That big gulag, pretty much. Mm -hmm. In the Andamans. Holy shit, what a throwback <laughs> to our Sentinel Island episode. So when India gained independence from the colonial douchebags, there was a huge <laughs> movement Amazing. to pardon a lot of the political prisoners in the jails. A lot of them were improperly convicted by the Brits. I mean, understandably, yeah. they were, you know, Freedom fighters, they were thrown into jail. Rebels. Rebels, yeah. The idea was that the country was starting with a clean slate, but literally all kinds of murderers and rapists were let loose on the streets no. as part of this movement. Yeah, they Shite. just let thousands of people out of the jails. It was pretty horrific if you ask me. I don't like it. I don't think they should have done that. They should have done the due diligence of trying them in court. Retrying? Just retry them. But no, they just let them loose. Unfortunately, our main villain also got his freedom really? in 1946 this way. Yeah. As part of this movement, he was let loose. So having served around 11 years in Kalapani jail, now him and Taranat were free men. Okay. But he was a broken, crazed man by this time. He had kind of lost his senses. And soon after, he was shot in an encounter with the cops when he threatened to shoot everyone in his family. So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what, what do you call this? Uh, suicide by cop? Yeah. Somewhat like that. He also was just like a family annihilator. Yeah, because see, no one left in his family likes him, obviously. Right? He has no fans left. Right. He's been in jail for 11 years. He doesn't even have any stooges. He's got nothing. And mm. for maybe a narcissistic dude like this, he needs the adoration and the 
the minions. You know, he needs that entourage and he had nothing. Well, it sounds like he also had like a sense of like he felt like he deserved everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. When he got nothing, he was left with nothing and no one. He kind of lost it and threatened to shoot everyone. The cops shot him. They're like, oh, you're that dude. Don't worry. We got something for you. Free bullet. (laughs) Free bullet for just for you. And thus ends our first case of bioterrorism in modern India. Interesting. That was our case. And I can see now why Time Magazine picked it up and, you know, made a big deal about it. Because it is unique. Yeah. I haven't heard of death by plague before this time. Of course, the CIA and KGB have used this countless times later. But, but like early, there was... Like medieval biological warfare, actually. So there is a really long history of the plague being used to just like kill people. Um, I think it was Mm. the Mongols would take siege around castles. And if a plague broke out within their ranks, they just throw the dead bodies over the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the plague ridden bodies would explode on the other side and just spread plague or they would leave plague corpses in water sources oh my god and contaminate water no no no. there's totally a history of this but it's like you know with modern medical science and technology it gets really refined and you can get really specific instead Mm. of this sort of like splatter kill all (laughs) yeah i mean even in america right how i think the colonials gave the Native Americans blankets with smallpox in it, didn't they? But I, I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't remember. The like- well, I mean, people died, so they were at fault, whether they intended it or not. Yeah, for sure. All through the Cold War, and even now, secret agents have used all kinds of toxins to kill people with sensitive information, scientists, spies, blah, blah, blah. There's tons of reports of ricin, anthrax. Right, yeah. Bunch of these poisons or toxins being used to kill people with pinpricks, like the umbrella gun. (laughs) It's terrifying. One thing that um, I was wondering about is how, like, the people who were in contact with Amarinda how they didn't catch the plague. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like the whole contagiousness of it is really... I know there are three main types of plague. There's like pneumonic, bubonic, and then another one, septisonic or something. And they all have different incubation periods and they all like, yeah, have different cure rates. So... But I guess bubonic was sort of the meanest. No, was it? It was the meanest in terms of symptoms. like, Or maybe the septic one was actually the worst because you basically would poop your guts out or something. Anyways, plague is really dark and interesting and scary and weird. Mm. I heard that there was an outbreak of bubonic plague in Madagascar. It might still be ongoing, honestly. It was not that long ago. Like right now? I did my master's with this girl from Madagascar and she had started her own sort of like NGO to try and combat a plague outbreak that was happening in Madagascar. That was back in 2017, all those many years ago. Wow. But yeah, so plague's still out there. There is a vaccine for it, so at least people don't have to die anymore. And you have to treat, I think, bubonic plague or pneumonic, one of them or maybe both of them. There is a vaccine, there is a treatment, but you have to get it within 24 hours. So it's like a really short window. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Another fun fact, just because I'm full of plague fun facts, is that the plague was actually originally spread from animal to human by marmots. Plague marmots. Marmots? Plague marmots. So those are like hamster looking rodents, right? Yeah, yeah. Like little mountain, little mountain weasel hamsters. Oh, yeah. cute. I prefer them. I don't want to think of rats. I think 
They're so cute. I, I take it from a marmot. I'll take your plague. They're so cute. <laughs> I'll take your plague. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, rats get a bad rap, but actually it's the marmots. It was the rats! <laughs> oh, I still haven't released that episode. So, listeners, I'm so sorry. You'll get our rat jokes <laughs> soon. Okay, you ready for the Bollywood corner? Ding, 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 ding. Oh man, I haven't watched much of Bollywood in the past month, so I was drawing a total blank about you know what to recommend today, and my husband came to the rescue with this one. Ooh, thanks. So he recommended the 2008 movie Race. Okay, it is an unapologetic, cheese-riddled action masala flick. That you might actually enjoy because there are twists on top of twists in this one. So it's one of those really, you know, those Bollywood movies with all the swanky outfits yeah. and hot women and just <laughs> lots of music and dancing and everyone's rich and... Nothing makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but it's made well and it's fun. It's fun to watch. There's, you know, classic tale of brothers fighting for control over inheritance and... It's played out with high-speed car chases, very catchy music, and also dumbass comedy in the middle. So I think you got to be a little buzzed to enjoy this movie. And I'm not going to recommend any vices. You want to get buzzed, do some pranayam breathing exercises. <laughs> That'll get you really oxygenated and excited yeah. and get your body pumped up to watch race. Go for a run. Tell the endorphins, get buzzed, and then watch race because you need you need it. Like, oh, coffee, chug a gallon of coffee and watch this movie. Love or it. just have a beer and like chill out. <laughs> the second movie is is a really well made thriller. It's a tight thriller. It's called Rat Akelihe, which means the night is lonely. Ooh, it's a Netflix movie. So sad for the night. It stars Radhika Apte and Nawazuddin Siddiqui, who is an excellent actor. Both of them, really good. It is a whodunit of sorts, with lots of intertwined secrets and misdeeds of a prominent family where a murder takes place. Nawazuddin is the cop assigned to the case, and he's completely enchanted by the sultry bride-turned-widow, who is also the prime suspect in the murder of her husband. Check it out. It's a really good movie. Yeah, I, it, I think it came out like, a year ago or something. Uh, so it's fairly new. Yes. It's on Netflix and it's called Rat Akelihe. I'm going to check that one out for sure. I really like this movie. And that is all. That is all I had for today. That's it. Cool. Anything else you wanted to talk about, Alex? I've been really afraid of people sneaking to the house while I'm asleep. <laughs> and now I feel less afraid of that and more afraid of like what can happen in broad daylight. In interactions with strangers. And pandemic kind of helps in that aspect because that six foot distance thing really helps. Yeah, totally. To, to not get pricked by <laughs> random hypodermic needles. Definitely. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> it's interesting how that pandemic and the plague pandemic and this COVID pandemic, it's not even a hundred years apart. Yeah. And we forgot. We forgot. Not much has changed. Just... You know, we're, we're humans. We don't change. We make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, I mean, we're probably handling plague much better than... Are we, though? I don't know. I In Arizona... Sorry, Arizona, but people here suck. What happened? They're not getting their shots? A good amount of people are getting their shots, but no one wears a mask oh. a a anywhere. Oh, no. I got my booster shot, and it almost like felt like I was dying it was so bad oh dude me too for a whole day I just felt like shit but it was necessary and everyone that can get their booster shots go get them yeah go get them yeah you don't want to get sick you don't want to get COVID because if if the preventative vaccine feels like this I don't even want to find out what I the know. actual COVID feels like god damn it I don't know. I, I, I say that like Arizona sucks because no one's wearing a mask, but I don't really know. Like I've just been alone for like three months <laughs> in the middle of the desert talking to birds and the vacuum cleaner and it's been nice. great. I'm happy. You're living the uh, snow white life. Right. <laughs> Anyways. 
It's a ooky spooky world. Ooky spooky world. Oh, yeah. um, so this is the first episode of season. Are we on season three? Isn't that wild? I think I plan like 12 episodes per season. I do have a lineup like folders made on my computer for like the cases I want to cover. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of writing I have to do. So hopefully I can catch up. Well, you know, while also being my toddler's entertainment manager. Oh, man. Well, hopefully she's going to have her, her nana. Her nanny ma. Her nanny ma there soon. I can't wait. I can't wait for my mom to get here. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Take over some of that uh, entertainment management. Electric balls of energy. That's what my child is. She's That's a little Pikachu. She yeah, she's a little Pikachu. Buzzing around the whole day. I think we talked about a lot of different things today, so I'm not going to drag it all along yeah. anymore. <laughs> Let's keep this episode brief and catch up with some more fun stories in our next episode. And until then, thank you everyone for listening and thank you to everyone that follows on our socials on Instagram and you can check out our website too, crimesfromtheeast.com. We do have a Patreon if you would like to support us. You don't have to. That's totally up to your discretion. But we do have merch now for our Patreon. Yes, we do. We have lots of very cute stickers that I can send you. If you you subscribe, I will send you some very cute stickers. And if not, buy a coffee. Yes, there is also buy me a coffee and Kofi, K-O-F-I. So, you know, whatever you find it easier to subscribe from, you can pick pick an option. And I do post extra pictures and, you know, anecdotes and things like that on Patreon and buy me a coffee. And private photos of us as children that the public doesn't need to see, but that the public is going to see, apparently. Only the paying public gets to see our <laughs> our childhood pictures. Oh, my God. All right. Yep, that's it. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Join us again in a couple weeks for the next episode of Crimes from the East. Your Desi True Crime podcast with a little masala and... Spice. 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 Watch out for the marmots. Oh, my spice. <laughs> the marmots. I'll take your plate. <laughs> I'll take your plate.